When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, friends, to the court of the Trashy Royals, where we explore our betters behaving badly forever. My name is Stacy. Hey, friends, I'm Alicia. We have some naughty nobles coming up. We're going to continue down this week our thread of Romanovs and talk about Catherine the Great. Fantastic. Beating the heat in our current heat wave by staying in Russia. That's exactly it. Catherine the Great was great in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. The very smart, lonely girl who was as unlikely to become empress of Russia as you or I. She was German, right? She wasn't even Russian. Okay. Yeah, she overthrows her husband, who quite frankly deserved it. Okay. And then proceeds to rule Russia for about 34 years. And to your point, Catherine isn't even Russian at all. Her story is fascinating. And it is our adventure today on Trashy Royals. Excellent. Let us anon. To the unlikeliest ruler, Catherine the Great. Sweet, sweet Catherine isn't even born Catherine. <laughs> She's born Sophia. Oh my God. <laughs> May the 2nd, 1729, in Germany. Not one single drop of Russian blood is in sweet Sophia, although she will become the longest serving female ruler in Russian history. Our little Sophia is smart and lonely and not liked at all by her mother. Her mom is pretty terrible. There are a lot of villains in this story. Catherine the Great is not one of the villains. I guess let us begin with villain number one. Joanna Elizabeth of Holstein Gottorb, who honestly doesn't have it great in her life. Joanna Elizabeth doesn't. She's married at the very early age of 15. She's the daughter of a duke from a very minor territory. And Joanna Elizabeth is married to Christian August. He's the prince of hmm. an alt Zerbst, which sounds really exciting. Until you realize he's only a minor prince. There's a bunch of princes in his territory in the Holy Roman Empire. Like right. it, He's also 21 years older. Oh. Than his 15-year-old bride. So what you're saying is that all these people sort of have titles, but the titles don't amount to much. Yeah, these are all tiny principalities mm-hmm. in the Holy Roman Empire. Not that they're not, you know, important families, but Sophia's father is a minor prince from a minor place, and her mom is a minor duke's daughter who really has a lot of ambitions about mm-hmm. how her life should have gone very differently. Hmm. Also, Joanne Elizabeth is 15 and Christian August is 36. So that's just kind of child abuse, but alas. 
It was very in keeping with the times, though. Mama's mean. Mama has a lot of ambition. She hates her husband's military post. And Mama never really forgives Sophia for being born a girl. Mom knows that having a son is the way you get ahead in the world. So Sophia, just from the get-go, she hears Sophia does, you're worthless, you're ugly, you're a clutch, you're not worthwhile. Because you're a girl, you're not worthwhile as in anything. Sounds like a really uplifting beginning. It's really not great. Mom, however, will love and dote and give all the attention to Sophia's younger brother, He was born a year and a half after her, and he is sickly and gets all the attention and the love and the adoration for mom, where poor Sophia, I'm not saying is neglected, but neglected emotionally for Mm -hmm. sure. Sophia has clothes, and she has tutors, and she has a governess. It's really kind of a bright little point in Sophia's life. Her governess introduces her to the French language and French authors as well. Racine, Moliere. Mm-hmm. So Sophia's very bright, uh, getting a lot of education, very curious, very charming. So she's leaning into what she can in spite of her mother's meanness. meanness. Mom is just mean. Little Sophia will even meet Frederick the Great mm. when Sophia's four years old. And even here, she's a little bit precocious. She makes Frederick the Great bow to her. Because she's four and like she's little, she's wee. Right. And she's like, no, you bow to me so I can see you. Frederick the Great does not forget young Sophia. Just put that in your memory back pocket there. Can I just say the the fact that a you know world leader in his own day was humoring little children is uh I'm glad that that's not new. She's lovely and precocious and hated by her mother. But her mom, again, really ambitious, gets around. Not with men, so to speak, but trying to improve her position in life. And when Sophia is about 10, Sophia is going to meet Peter Ulrich. Peter Ulrich, holy cats, is a double heir to a throne. He's 11. He likes to drink. Hmm. Peter does. And he's mean. And he's not good looking. And he's kind of a jerk. But he's, you said double heir too. Correct. He is the nephew of Charles Twelfth of Sweden. So Peter Ulrich is the heir to the Swedish throne. Peter Ulrich is also the last surviving grandson of Peter the Great. Okay. The Peter the Great is on Peter's mother's side. The heir to Sweden is on Peter's father's side. Okay. But Peter is an orphan. Peter has... The story's very convoluted. It's terrible. Peter has been commanded into the care of a tutor who abuses Peter, humiliates Peter. It's, it's not a great childhood for Peter. Anyway, what I'm trying to tell you is that Peter at 11 and Sophia at 10 meet. And Momager has an idea. Momager doesn't even have an idea. Mm. There's just a meeting between the two. The kids aren't really impressed. Like, whatever. All right. Bow to you. It's fine. Whatever. Okay. When Sophia is about 14, that younger brother passes away of scarlet fever. Not great. And now mom has a lot more time and attention to turn to Sophia. And Sophia has a hand 
that can hold a ring. Right. That can advance mother Joanna Elizabeth mm-hmm. in the world. So Joanna Elizabeth is going to put Sophia in how to catch a man school. Sure. Essentially diminishing every bit of charm, brilliance, shine that Sophia may have to make her humble and less than. Men don't like smart or proud or educated women. We shouldn't do any of that. Hmm. And Mama begins this letter writing campaign on behalf of Sophia. She's making the round. She's visiting. I mean, she's from a minor, I mean, she's from a major house, but a minor territory of that major house. But mom has a lot of cousins. Essentially, anything mom can do to make her own life less dreary. And this is going to be to advance her daughter, Sophia, into marriage. And there's not going to be any losing in this game. Joanna Elizabeth is pretty determined. And will even, are you ready for this, take Sophia to convents to see spinster aunts? To show her what her life would be like if she doesn't succeed. Right. These are your options, basically. One of these haunts Sophia forever. She's taken to see an aunt who lives with 16 dogs in one room. Sophia's like, I never forgot that smell. Like, there's a reason for Sophia to achieve her mother's aims, mm-hmm. so to yes, speak. Yes, to get with the program, as it were. Now, more problematically, Sophia's like 14 and... Her mother's brother is chasing after Sophia. Sophia also has a cousin who is about a decade older. He's 24. And he keeps stalking Sophia in the castle to, I'm going to say, try to accost her. But yeah, just let me get a little kiss. And Sophia's like, get the heck away from me. Sure, I'll marry you, but you have to gain the consent of my parents, Mm -hmm. right? Okay, poor Sophia. So, one night, Sophia, her mom, everybody's sitting down at dinner. Knock, knock, knock at the door. Oh, my, it's a letter. Who's the letter from? The letter is from Empress Elizaveta of Russia. This was the successor of uh, Empress Anna? That is Is correct. That That is absolutely correct. That was the fancy, beautiful, worldly like person in the court that just drove on a crazy. Absolutely. And Elizaveta, when she got a hold of power, I mean, she's very frivolous. My favorite law that Elizaveta passed was no one in all of Russia could wear pink except for her. <laughs> yep. <laughs> that, yes. Frivolous is a good word. <laughs> so remember Elizaveta, she was the one betrothed to Louis the Fifteenth, but that didn't work out. And it's Elizaveta who reigns after psychotic Empress Anna mm-hmm. is gone. Yeah, passes away from whatever. Yeah. Okay, so we're back at dinner. Sophia, mom having dinner. Knock, knock, knock. There's a letter one day from Empress Elizaveta of Russia, who is the aunt of Peter Ulrich. She was the sister to his mother. Remember, little Peter, heir to Sweden. Empress Elizaveta knows Joanna Elizabeth because their families, right? Like Everybody knows everybody. Everybody's connected. So here's Empress Elizaveta having just adopted Peter Ulrich because she has no heir. Elizaveta doesn't. And so she's like, shoot, last surviving great-grandson of Peter the Great, you're going to be my heir. Peter has to... 
take away his claim to Sweden. He's no longer heir to Sweden. He's going to be the new emperor of Russia. It's kind of a step up, right? Mm -hmm. Probably. So here comes this letter from Elizaveta, who doesn't tell Joanna Elizabeth, I would like your daughter to marry Peter. But it's more like, hey, why don't you come to Moscow? We'll have a little time to visit. It'll be super fun. I think you'll really like seeing the sights. It's coded women language. Joanna Elizabeth knows exactly what's going on, right? It also comes with 10,000 rubles to make Sophia presentable. Buy her some new dresses, buy her some jewels. Mm -hmm. Everybody knows, wink, wink, what Sophia is coming for. Right. This is very coded language, but this is come to Russia, look good. I haven't seen you in a while because it will have some fun. So big excitement abounds in the household. Joanna Elizabeth is going to take those 10,000 rubles, pocket them, and everybody goes to bed. But da-da-da-da-da-da, there's a second letter that shows up that night from Frederick the Great. Of Germany? Yeah. Prussia. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, whoo, Frederick the Great's letter shows up, and Frederick the Great is like, Joanna Elizabeth and Sophia, I need you to come to Berlin. I need to meet you before you go to Moscow. He knows, like, everybody's aware of what's about to happen. Because they're all, all those houses are related through. Absolutely. So, that's cool. We're going to get you to Moscow, but I need you to come to Berlin and meet me first. Because nothing happens anywhere without Frederick the Great say so. Okay. So, what happens? Joanna Elizabeth has pocketed those 10,000 rubles. And spends all of them on clothes and jewelry for herself. Seems right. Not Sophia. Right. Sophia's still in her regular old Cinderella clothes. Mama shows up in Berlin and is presented to Frederick the Great. And Frederick the Great's like, where's Sophia? Sophia's not there. Mom didn't bring Sophia. That's how ambitious mom is, is Sophia's just Mm -hmm. not there. And mom's like, oh, Sophia's sick. She couldn't come. And this happens like three days in a row. And Frederick the Great is like, I need to meet this child. Finally, the mom can't admit she's been lying. So she's going to make up yeah. another lie. And she's like, Sophia doesn't even have any cl- any good clothes to wear to meet you. So Frederick the Great is like, hey, sis, like to one of his sisters, could you give this kid some clothing so she can meet me anyway? Frederick the Great and Sophia. Do meet. And Frederick the Great <laughs> will make mom sit at a completely different table. He wants to get to know Sophia. And throughout the night, as dinner companions, remember, she's been told to diminish, dull your sparkle. But throughout the night, he is drawing her out and realizes she is a champion of, I mean, she's 14. She's not a champion of anything yet, but she's witty. She's kind. She's charming. Mm-hmm. She knows about enlightenment ideas. I was going to say she's right? a perfectly modern 14-year-old for the for the years. For, for what the he's looking for. Mm-hmm. And Frederick the Great's like, great, she'll do fine. I approve of this match. Why does he need Sophia there? Allyship. He's about to make his big play for world power, and he needs Russia to be on. He doesn't need to make an enemy sure. out of Russia. Also, even for as bad as Joanna Elizabeth has acted during all of this, Frederick the Great is going to give her some secret instructions 
Like, I need you to be my secret mover and shaker when you get to Russia. You need to accompany your daughter and ensure this wedding happens. But also while you're there, I need you to do some of these other things for Mm -hmm. me. So it is off to Russia. Sweet little Sophie and Mama heading to Empress Elizaveta and her new adopted heir, Peter. One day to be Peter III, but that day is very far away and we have much to get Catherine through before then. I'm sorry, not even Catherine. Sweet little Sophia. Mm -hmm. All right, so little Soph, she's 14. She's brought to Russia to meet again Peter. And here's Sophia. She's pretty. She's clever. She's energetic. Peter was impressed in the beginning because remember, Peter's Prussian. He's like, oh, you know... All, remember that bar? Oh, yeah, we bought records there. You speak the language. Like, he likes Sophia. Sophia has to be drawn toward him. Like, it doesn't matter if she likes him or not. But, oh, God. So, remember that Peter was a drunk creep at 11? 11. Mm-hmm. He's only gotten worse oh. by the time they meet again as a teenager. Stunning. He's a jerk. He hates Russia. He wears Prussian colors and his Prussian... Uh, uniforms. He won't speak the Russian language. He won't learn it. He doesn't like the food. He doesn't like the religion. He is continuing to cling to Lutheranism. There is nothing Russian that Peter likes at all. That's a that's a odd place for the future monarch to be. He prefers German everything. Right. So maybe Sophia's like, hmm, this isn't great. But it gets worse when uh, <laughs> Peter tells... Sophia, also, I'm not in love with you. I'm in love with another person. And I know I have to do this, but I pretty much hate you. And this is not going to go great. This is awesome. There's an instant dislike to Mm. each other that you could see happening. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Sophie's dad is real apprehensive about this match, but... Sophie's mom, Joanna Elizabeth, is under orders from Frederick the Great to make it happen. So a marriage is quickly arranged. The empress really likes Sophia. She's charming, right? Mm -hmm. She's lovely. And Elizaveta probably realizes the Sophia kid is going to be better for my nephew than he'll be for his own self. Goodness. Sophia doesn't like Peter. Sophia does like Elizaveta, and Sophia knows who she's meant to impress. Okay. Peter has not much to do with this decision. This is Elizaveta's decision. Right. And going into Russia, if you can imagine, here's a 14-year-old Sophia who's never seen anything but Germany. This trip, her entry into Russia changes her. Not only are towns and villages blowing horns for her arrival, but the landscape, everything she's seeing is so alien and new and exciting. Like, Sophia's pretty excited about it and will take immediately for as fervently as Peter is, I love Germany. Right. Sophia's like, holy cats, this Russia place is amazing. Have you tasted kwas? No, she'll learn... Russian. She will devote herself to impressing Elizaveta by learning sure, by the adopting. dress, the customs, mm-hmm. the everything of Russia. I love that. While her idiot future husband is like watching 
Munich football and drinking a big stein of German beer. That's I love exactly it. it. So sweet Sophia is so devoted to her Russian studies, she develops pneumonia. And the Russian people will say when they are celebrating her survival as she fell ill for the love of Mother Russia. Hmm. Sophia becomes like she is so popular, not only with Elizaveta, but among the people as well because of all she sacrificed for our country. And she's not even Russian. She's a teenager and we love her. Post her on the wall. Okay. Sophia knows the game. Sophia is playing the game. She's beloved by the Empress and the people, not by Peter. (laughs) Sophia will even convert to the Russian Orthodox religion and take on the name of Catherine, changing her to Catherine. The great doesn't gotcha. come till later. Sure, sure. I was going to ask when when the name changed. So when she becomes uh, Russian Orthodox. The name change mm-hmm. happens, yes, in her strive to learn all about the country she's, right? Okay, mm-hmm. it's all great. Changing your religion is kind of a big deal, but Sophia is playing the long game here. Peter is still terrible. He tells Sophia he can't wait to marry her now so he can beat her because that's the way that you can legally beat women. Nice guy. So this marriage is going to be great. There's like a year-long countdown, but oh no. On the way to the countdown for the wedding, Peter gets smallpox. Aw, too bad. He's sick for weeks and weeks. And although he does survive, Hmm. Peter, who already looked like a frog... To begin with, smallpox leaves him disfigured. Now he's a poxy frog. And he wasn't good looking to start with. And so now he's more of a battle-scarred fish aesthetic. Catherine can't even stand to look at him. Like it's like, and of course, Elizaveta now wants to speed this wedding up because she needs an heir. Right. If Peter bounces, I need Catherine now Mm -hmm. pregnant with an heir. Peter and Catherine now wed on August 21st, 1745. She is 16. He is 17. And for as badly as it started, it is going to get worse. So the night of the wedding, Elizaveta sends Catherine to bed to wait for the honeymoon. And there's Catherine lying in bed. And Peter never comes to bed because Peter goes and gets drunk with all of his friends Eventually, hours later, stumbles in and just passes out on the floor. In Catherine's letters and memoirs, she accounts much of Peter's vulgar, drunken, and cruel behavior towards her. Also, Peter, he's just so weird. He will have his servants dress up like soldiers just so he can command them around. When he goes, he's 18, he's seven, 18 yeah, years old. Yeah. He does this from 17 for like the next seven, eight years. He'll bring soldiers to bed, little toy soldiers, and make the maids march him around the bed like it's a battlefield. That seems weirdly age inappropriate. Really age inappropriate. So continuing on from Catherine's memoirs, she'll write of watching Peter have a fake have a trial for a mouse and then declare that mouse guilty and execute that mouse 
because he was found guilty. Now, this story really is likely to be true. One of Peter's childhood tutors, probably the one who might have been abusing Mm, him. So, hey, I learned it by watching you. One of Peter's tutors writes of his disturbing tendencies, Peter's. Like to harm animals, that kind of thing. Well, he's lazy, he's arrogant, and he does like to show remarkable cruelty to animals. Cool, cool. So, Catherine's not real happy in this marriage. She will begin to read a whole bunch, really interested in the works of the Enlightenment authors. Mm -hmm. Voltaire now is the biggest Enlightenment author. The hot guy on the scene. And without a husband to, right, really do much with, Catherine throws herself into Mother Russia, the customs, the culture, She quickly becomes fluent in Russian. She devotes herself to religion. Peter, on the opposite hand, is spending his days drinking and hanging out with his toy soldiers that are dressed up and some real soldiers, too. Elizaveta is like, y'all, I really need you to have some babies here, which is difficult if you're bringing your toy soldiers to bed for seven years. Poor Catherine, what is she to do? Catherine and Peter will be married for 17 years, but they are rarely together. They both take on many, many, many different lovers. And it certainly doesn't take long for Peter to start having affairs, but eventually Catherine, after seven years of toy soldiers, is going to be like, oh, come on already. It is suspected that finally when they do have their son, Paul, that Paul was not Peter's biological child. Catherine will even allude to this in her memoirs, saying Paul was fathered by her first lover that she takes, Sergei Saltikov. Now, Catherine, not for lack of trying, gets pregnant numerous times, but does not carry those children to term. Paul is her first successful childbirth. Okay. Paul is born in 1754, and maybe Paul bears a strong resemblance to Peter, The claim that he isn't Peter's isn't widely believed, but hey, I don't know how much Peter and Catherine are up to anyway, whoever's son it is. Catherine has done her duty. Russia has an heir. The labor was terrible. Hmm. And as soon as Catherine delivers that child, Empress Elizaveta takes Paul immediately and will proceed to raise him. (laughs) Catherine has zero to do with her own child. Wow. They are estranged from birth, which is going to come back around in an enormous way Mm -hmm. in our next week's story. Just kind of remember that. Sure. So where we talk about women rulers maybe ruling, but they're also being mothers, not Catherine. Paul is gone with Elizaveta for all of this. Interesting. Yeah, I I know that he... Attempted to repudiate much of his mother's work down the road, but I guess that's for next week. Oh, yeah. Paul. Whoa. Hold on to that. Today's Catherine. Carrying some anger. So much anger. Okay. Catherine does deliver a second child, Anna. Sadly, she died in infancy, adding even more stress and sadness to the marriage that was already not going great to begin with. Right. Anna was most likely the biological child of another of Catherine's lovers. This is Stanislaw Poniatowski, who also happened to be the Grand Duke of Lithuania and Mm. King of Poland. 
I was going to say mm-hmm. that name sounds very Polish. Yeah. Okay, so, so so some kind of royal blood. <laughs> well, Anna dies, and it's well, sad. So yeah. Catherine really here is isolated. She's not gaining anything through her husband. She doesn't gain anything with the power of being a mother. So Catherine really here is going to begin to make friends with anyone who is likely to help her at any time in the future. Hmm. She'll make friends with ambassadors. She's getting a lot of informants. Catherine has always been kind, nice, overly generous with her servants. Catherine is charming all of Russia. Everybody at court, every high up, every low up, everybody in the middle. She knows the bread bakers. She knows the milk getters. The Catherine is making friends. We don't know what she's making friends for, but Catherine is charming her way through the Russian court. Okay. Anyone that could be useful to her, Catherine will make a friend out of. Because I think Catherine knows that connections count. Now, after the birth of poor Anna, Peter, her husband, really gets super mad because he's hearing rumors that Anna wasn't his child. Now, hypocrisy abounds. Peter has plenty of lovers on his own, but, oh no, my wife shouldn't have a lover. Peter said, God knows where my wife gets her pregnancies. I don't know if the child is mine. Well. Now, Peter at this time, we're talking late, 50s, early 1760s at this time. Peter does have a primary mistress. Her name is Elizaveta Vronskova. Now, this Elizaveta is not your typical royal lover. Even her friends (laughs) say she, quote, swore like a soldier, squinted her eyes, smelled bad, and spit while talking. Hmm. And those are people who like her. Okay. Okay. Catherine, of course, knows that her husband is cheating. Catherine's opinion of Elizaveta, she calls her a, quote, very ugly, extremely dirty child, unquote. (laughs) So by 1761, rumors are abound in the Russian court that Peter is planning on bailing on Catherine so he can marry Elizaveta. He tortures Catherine. Hey, you know what? I'm going to shave you bald, and then I'm going to marry my mistress. In the middle of all of this, guess what happens? The Empress Elizaveta dies? Yes, she does. Okay. This is January 5th, 1762. So just as Peter's planning his big change my wife power Uh move, Elizaveta, out. Welcome to the Peter III administration. That is exactly right. Peter III becomes the emperor of Russia at the age of 34 when his aunt, Empress Elizaveta, died on January 5th, 1762. Catherine was crowned empress alongside her husband. So things are going to be fantastic, right? I'm sure things smooth out really well in that marriage. Absolutely not. First off, Peter is a complete jerk at Elizaveta's funeral. Because it's held in the Russian Orthodox Mm. tradition. He wears his Prussian uniform to her funeral. Still holding on to his Lutheranism a bit. He's rude throughout the whole thing. He talks. He cleans his boots. I don't know. He's just, he's terrible. Now, Catherine, on the other hand, Mm. is reverential. She's 
now been Russian Orthodox for a number of years. She knows what she's doing. Okay, what's next? Peter III not only is going to exact some kind of after-death revenge on his aunt, next up is Peter enacting his revenge based on his desires to crucify his wife. He takes her into the public square, here's your Empress Catherine, and wants to make her admit all of her adultery and that Paul isn't their child. Peter's coming for Catherine. To make matters worse, he's coming for all of Russia. Now, remember Elizaveta, beloved by her people, she did some really good things. Things are way less bad in Russia than they used to be. Peter reverses all of that. Every last bit of it. Oh, good. Just get right to the business of governing poorly. Well, it's not, yikes, just that. So there's something else happening on a worldwide scale here that is going to become important in Peter's downfall. Peter reigns for mm, six months. Really? Yeah, that's it. He's not a very long ruler of Russia because, essentially, of the Seven Years' War. Russia had been fighting in the Seven Years' War with Prussia, and Frederick the Great (sighs) was kicking tail And now, finally, after like seven years, Russia's starting to gain some ground. We have been in this war. It has broken us financially. It's breaking our men. This is hardship. This is against Frederick the Great? Okay. This is against Prussia and Frederick the Great. So Frederick's plan for little Sophia to... That didn't work out the way he'd hoped. Okay. No, but who has a poster of Frederick the Great on the wall? Peter. So Peter's like, no problem, Frederick the Great. I've been thinking you were great since I was a little kid. So you know what? We're just going to give you back all the lands that we've taken. Anything that we've gotten from you, here's it all back and more. I love you, Freddie the Great. You're awesome. So seven years of fighting. Russia is so mad. Because he just capitulates for no reason. Okay. So that's mainly the reason. But remember... Catherine has been making friends and gaining allies. And the Seven Years' War debacle isn't really the only way Peter screws up, per se. (laughs) But in the first few months of Peter's reign, it's all really going bad. And Catherine is kind of working her inside plan. It is unknown if, you know, the Navy and the Army and the Senate and the Synod approached Catherine for her assistance in removing him, or if perhaps Catherine was the mastermind behind it. Takes about six months. The way it all goes down is really kind of a comedy of errors about who's going to what palace, and Peter keeps getting these notifications. Hey, Catherine's taken over everything. You maybe want to do something about this. He won't open the letter. He's playing violin like Nero as his, as he is blissfully unaware that his kingdom is burning. Also, he will send his guards out, but his guards think that this is just another playtime game. So they only bring wooden guns. They don't even bring guns to defend him because they think we're just in playtime. Sounds, sounds good. After this farcical Uh of a thing... Peter III is arrested. 
He is taken into exile outside of Petersburg. He does have to abdicate, and he would like to be returned to Prussia, and Catherine's like, "Mm, no. Catherine, July 9th, 1762, was declared empress. She will not be coronated until September because Peter's still alive, right? Do I just keep you in exile? Do I lock you up? What exactly happens here? Mysteriously enough, Peter is going to be found dead eight days after this whole thing shakes down. So unexpected. (laughs) The exact circumstances of Peter's death will remain a mystery and are still hotly debated. He probably fell out a window. Well, the official report of his death states that Peter died from severe hemorrhoids or hemorrhoidal colic. Which this latter term, hemorrhoidal colic, soon becomes a popular euphemism for assassination. Sure. So it's, okay, it was it was that era's fell out of a window. Exactly. Nobody believes that he hemorrhoids just killed. died of hemorrhoids. Yeah. The 30, 30-something-year-old probably didn't die of hemorrhoids. Many historians prefer assassination, prefer mm-hmm. murder to that. Some historians, though, do believe he either committed suicide, or died in a drunken fight with his guards. This is slandering him, right, though? This is like Catherine puts out the story that, like, his hemorrhoids killed him, and... Ish, most believe the most likely scenario to have happened is that Peter was murdered by Alexei Orlov. This is the brother of Catherine's lover, Grigory Orlov. The Orlov brothers help orchestrate the overthrow of Peter for Catherine. Catherine is benefited by the death of Peter, mm-hmm. however the death of Peter happens. Right. And again, historians have always debated whether Catherine knew Peter would be assassinated or simply exiled. But either way, Catherine doesn't spend really any time at all mourning the death of her drunken idiot husband who yeah. was very, very mean to her. Yeah, the lout of a husband, yeah. Catherine formally takes the crown in September of 1762, and welcome to the Catherine the Great administration. She was the sole ruler of Russia for 34 years, from 1762 to 1796. And Catherine really does a great deal of good during her reign. She'll advance Russia into the modern era whatever that means for the 18th century, in a number of ways. And the first dozen years of her administration, poor Catherine, she's really trying to make all of these enlightenment ideas happen, but she wants to do it through committee. Hey, everybody, we're going to have a focus group about how to best ensure that marginalized people are recognized in Russia. And... None of the folks she's calling together who are like the top one percenters right. really want to get into the ideas of the Enlightenment. Right. She calls this big committee where she is going to write a treatise on how to make laws, right? So she pulls in all of her focus groups together, and all the focus groups do is declare her Catherine the Great. She's like, I don't know. You guys, we're supposed to be here to talk about innocent until proven guilty and the value of a human soul and work and like no it so after about 12 years Catherine's like "Mm, 
I'm gonna go ahead and do it myself. Forget the focus groups. Forget rule by committee. But she does try. Catherine reforms judicial practices. She'll open the first schools for orphans. Medical advancements and health care is more of a priority than it ever has been. She'll develop hospitals for destitute people so they can get medical care. Catherine, whoa, promotes girls' education. I know, provides ways to make that happen. Policing at the time turns way less repressive. Hmm. Policing reforms from this cruelty-based policing to, hey, maybe we can just make sure people are safe. Catherine had the first maps of Russia made. Hmm. As she was planning all of her stuff, she'd be like, hey, where is that city? And none of her people would know. Right. Or because where, that city was never on a map. Where is that border? Where mm-hmm. is, yeah. Catherine builds cities. She will curate a really impressive art collection. Again, she will advance Russia into more current and more modern than they have ever been. But Catherine couldn't or didn't really make her Enlightenment agenda quite as widespread or inclusive as she would have liked to. There are a few different reasons why that happens, but do remember Voltaire will call her the philosopher empress. She really does try. It doesn't go great. We got 8 million serfs in Russia in her administration, 95% of Russian people not at all represented in any kind of government. So ultimately, not that great, but she really does try. So Grigory Orlov, Catherine's old lover from the time of the overthrow and help me get my country here, he gets booted because he was terrible to her. He cheated on her. He was kind of a brute. He was really unrefined. Her council hated Orlov as well. He was not as educated as she was. He will end up getting sent on a diplomatic mission that goes really badly. So Catherine's like, Grigori, you're out. I'm done. Catherine will proceed to take much younger lovers. And Catherine's opponents will strongly ridicule and criticize her for this. Even though almost all male monarchs did exactly the same thing. But it's different when a woman does it, Alicia. So different. Catherine is going to find herself a brand new lover. This is Potemkin. Oh, and he has done everything for Catherine the Great for years and years and years. He's part of the help in that overthrow. He has been her secretary of everything and her right-hand man for a long time. And here's the thing about Potemkin. He is a man of the world. He is smart. He is educated. Catherine thinks Potemkin's so dreamy. She's in love He's her equal. He makes her laugh. They are really well suited to each other in that they have very equal ambition and striving for power levels. And this could have been a happy ending for the Empress, but alas, there is one little bit of a downfall to Potemkin because he's insecure and he's really not a fan of the power differential between the couple because Catherine is always going to be in charge. So he becomes needy and insecure and jealous and kind of emo boy, 
crying all the time. And like Catherine's like, how do I convince you that this is the one? This just gets to be exhausting. The fireworks and passion and physical love affair between Catherine and Potemkin ends in 1780. But at this point, they really reevaluate their relationship where they become allies and partners, but the romance is no longer there. Mm -hmm. They're on a break. Well, they're on a permanent break. He'll try to set her up. He'll bring her young men. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. They really do remain bonded. If you are one of Catherine's lovers and say anything bad about Patinkin, you're done. Like, they really do remain loyal to each other, but the romance, Mm -hmm. at least physically, is no longer happening. Potemkin helps Catherine so much until the day of his death. Like, really interesting to see the plays, the power plays they made in the moves of world history, but not the story. Let's finish up here with Catherine, who is a woman of unusual sexual desire, even in her later years. Catherine really enjoys the physical pleasures in the world. She once said of her constant need for romantic intimacy, The trouble is my heart is loath to remain even one hour without love. Kind of sounds like Elizabeth Taylor, right? A little bit, yeah. Now, there were a lot of rumors that happened about Catherine. Sure, there's a very famous one. Very famous before that, though. We're going to get there towards the end. There were rampant rumors that Catherine had erotic furniture. We'll see this again with King Edward VII, who Mm -hmm. has a sleigh bed for sexual purposes. Catherine was referred to as a nymphomaniac by her courtiers. Catherine also took a number of lady lovers as well. Just going to say, Catherine enjoyed the physical pleasures in Mm -hmm. the world during her reign Of course, her enemies do their level best to paint her as a sexual deviant or sexual maniac. But to be fair, Catherine maybe had 10 to 20 lovers in her lifetime, and many of those were long-term love affairs. Mm -hmm. So a little bit like Henry VIII gets ballied about as a real ladies' man. No. (laughs) His reputation far exceeds him versus the amount of lovers he actually had. Unless you think 12 to 20 sounds like a lot, but mm, I don't live in the 18th century. Yeah. Catherine was constantly criticized for not marrying after the death of Peter, but Catherine totally understands that marrying meant relinquishing her power, which she was unwilling to do. Weird. Now, perhaps Catherine might have married in secret. There's a little bit of debate and mystery as to whether Catherine did break down to show her love for Potemkin that she actually married him. Are you saying there may have been a Potemkin marriage? Potemkin. (laughs) Maybe a Potemkin marriage. There begins a time where Catherine starts referring to him as her husband, and she is his wife in casual correspondence. Mm -hmm. But there's no record. And Catherine certainly is not going to let Potemkin or anybody else get a claim over her Russia. So sadly for Catherine, even after her death, she could not escape all those rumors about her sexuality. Mm -hmm. The most legendary story about her death, which is completely fake news, is that Catherine died while participating in bestiality with a horse. Yes. 
that is that is the story. This bombastic and propagandistic lie, I don't even know if those are words, but I'm saying them, were spread after her death. They are utterly false. Catherine is not the first woman to be maligned in death with false rumors, because that's what we say when we want to put women down. And remember who's coming on the throne. Paul. Who's hated his mother his entire life. This story, the harness holding the horse broke and Mm -hmm. she was crushed to death. Uh, Lies. Lies, I tell you. The reality was much less salacious. Catherine the Great actually died of a stroke at the age of 67 years old, November 17th, 1796. And there goes Catherine the Great, the last of the great rulers of Russia. It all really goes downhill. <laughs> oh, so from... she, she she really was like the final, the great of, and now we're, now, now we're here. And yeah, kind of now we're here because what happens after Catherine's death, it really does all go downhill. We will answer what happens next on the Romanov Game of Thrones next time on Trashy Royals. So Alicia, Catherine the Great... Long, long-term monarch. Seems like she's probably worthy of a few trash crowns here, yeah? Trash crowns to a certain extent, but Catherine had way more many trashy folks around her. I'm going to award a lot more trash cans to Catherine's terrible mother, hmm. her madman of a husband. Okay. Because Catherine the Great like had that... Something that would make the Senate, the army, the navy, and all the people overthrow the rightful emperor for her. Sure. For her, a German girl, not even a Russian. For a German girl, Mm -hmm. right? Catherine really was something special. Her goals were sincere. She had, I think, her heart very much in the right place. She is remembered as the greatest empress in Russian history, ruling her adopted country for... Three and a half decades Mm -hmm. after overthrowing her husband and getting her mom the heck out of Dodge. How many crowns? I don't know. Maybe we fully decide when we get to Paul next week, because we're not exactly done with Catherine. She'll be coming back around in his story, which again, we will resume next week on this trashy Royals ride that we're on. Sounds great. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in today to this episode of Trashy Royals and telling your friends about us for your kind emails and reviews as well. We can't tell you how much we appreciate you being here. Thank you so much, friends. Until we meet again next Thursday. Keep your eye on the throne. Straighten up that crown. Something. Again, we have got to work it out here. got to figure that out. If y'all have any ideas, let us know. We're getting there. Definitely. Until we meet again next Thursday at the reassembly of the court, y'all, behave yourselves. Behave yourselves better than the naughty nobles we have. Oh, for sure. Keep those crowns held high, friends. (laughs) Bye, everybody. Have a great weekend. Bye.